0: We're continuing our series on forgiveness. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Join us for today's broadcast.
1: See, one thing you need when you come before God, you need a contrite heart. You need to realize that you got issues, you got sin in your life. You can't come to God thinking that, oh, I'm going to put on my best face and act like nothing's wrong. That's not going to work. When you come to God with a contrite heart, a sorrowful heart, then you're going to experience the compassion of God.
0: I can forgive, but I can never forget. Is that biblical? Welcome to today's broadcast of The Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Condors. We're continuing our series on forgiveness today. We want to focus in again on the force of forgiveness. Please join us as we have an encouraging look at God's Word, understanding what it means to forgive, and then on the back side of it, the liberty and the freedom that we have as we live a forgiving and forgiven life. Here's Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. See, that's what the
1: conviction of the Holy Spirit does. When you give up and you just give in to God, and I know for some of you it's a control issue. Some of you say, man, I just, you know, this idea of just letting go and let God, that's just kind of the other side of my brain. It doesn't work. Trust God. Trust God through that. Just say, hey, God, this is hard for me to do. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like to be in a car unless I'm driving the car. I just don't like it. I mean, I've done it. Sometimes it's because maybe you know, get car sick or whatever. But most of the times, you know what it boils down to? It boils down to one thing, control. I want to be in control of that car. I don't like it when I'm sitting over there and my foot's going through the floorboard because, you know, I'm seeing something maybe the other person is not seeing. Then they're looking at you, oh, you don't trust me as a driver, huh? You just feel weird about it. You know, I'd rather just be driving the car. Probably a lot of us are that way. But see here, he points out that you know what? When you come to Christ, when you come and He He you come to Him and you realize hey, there's nowhere else to go, and verse 27 it says He'll have pity for Him. And He loosed Him, He released Him. See, the burden you're carrying is not going to be released by good works, it's not going to be released by religion, it's not going to be released by anything else. It's the only thing that can release that is God. And you cry out to Him and He will release you. Not only that, but He'll He'll forgive you. He'll Says he forgave him the debt. Do you ever stop and think where compassion, this kind of compassion, comes from? I mean, he's giving us a picture of the compassion of God. He's saying, This is how God forgives you. Poor Peter, he's probably thinking, Man, why'd I even ask this question at this point? You want me to forgive somebody over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God? Yeah, that's exactly what He wants you to do. Because if you don't, what happens? It becomes an issue, it disturbs the fellowship of the body. What if they just keep doing it? Well, you just keep forgiving them, in your heart at least. And if you can't have reconciliation with that person, you better at least forgive them in your heart or you're going to be carrying a burden that they're probably not even carrying and they're the one that's causing the problem. It's not worth it. Compassion comes from love. Compassion comes from a love for someone else. This Lord happened to love his servant. That's why he was moved by his appeal. I mean, if he didn't care for a servant, he'd say, hey, you know, you're going to rot in there. Too bad. I'm selling your wife, your kids, and you're going to rot until, you know, you're just basically going to die because you can't repay it. And see, that's the situation we're in. If you stop and think about it, there's no way that we could ever repay what we owe God. There's no way that we could ever justify ourselves before holy God because of our sinfulness. And even though the debt was incurred against him when his treasury had been robbed, the, the king still forgave the servant. Some translations at the end of verse 27, the literal language there is, the king forgave him the loan. The king is so tender hearted, he considers it a loan instead of embezzlement. He canceled the loan. He released the obligation. Have you ever gotten to a point where you paid off a car, or you paid off a house, and you, know, you got the piece of paper in the mail saying, hey, paid in full. Isn't that a good feeling? It's just a good feeling. And you say, well, how do I receive this forgiveness from God? How do I receive that kind of a a gift from God? Well, you've got to come with a broken heart over your sinfulness, knowing that you're never going to be able to work this sin away. You can never repay the debt. And you cry out to God for mercy and for patience, all aware that you deserve hell. You deserve eternal judgment. But in the midst of that brokenness, God comes in in a tender and compassionate way and He he forgives your debt. At that moment, the sinner recognizes and begins to confess his sin. Why? Because it's forgiven. And you come with a repentant and you come with a worshipful heart. And you come to the only one who can really forgive it. And God rushes in and He covers your life with the forgiveness that's only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God, when, when, when Christ hung on that cross, he absorbed every sin of everyone who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And he paid for it in full. God isn't just looking at you saying, oh, okay, you know what, I like you, I'll just forgive you. On a whim. He's not doing that. God is a just God. He a price had to be paid. Christ was the one who paid your price. It'd be like if you had a traffic ticket and you were holding the traffic ticket in your hand and you had to go pay it by tomorrow or they were going to enter a uh, give you a warrant for your arrest. You say, well, I don't have the money. Well, I could say, well, tough. Neither do I. <laughs> See you in jail, pal. Or I could say, you know what? Here, maybe I can help you out. And I could pay your debt. I didn't... Get the ticket, you did. But I could give you the money to cover that debt so you could go in there and you could make things right with the judge. That's what Christ did on our behalf. You want an excellent version of this whole parable kind of in real life, look at the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Read it. Look at it. And you see that, wow, this is... This is real life. This really can happen. Well, look at what happens here. In verse 28, he's forgiven the debt. And then in verse 28, the same servant went out. Now remember, he was in debt. So if he's in debt, he probably doesn't have a lot of money. Okay. Okay. It's not like all of a sudden he had a bunch of money. So he's looking for some food money. He's looking for something to take care of his family because the debt was forgiven. And so what's he do? He leaves the king's presence and he goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him not a whole lot. hundred denarii is basically hardly anything. And you think, wow, what's he going to do? Well, look at what he does. Talk about being uncompassionate. He seizes him, and this is a pittance. This is nothing compared to what this man owed. He seized him, and he began to choke him. I mean, that's just kind of bad behavior in general. And then he says, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, probably hearing the story about this guy, thinking, man, this guy's going to get it when when his account comes. And he goes before the king, man, this guy's going to be in big trouble because we know what he's been doing with all this, whatever, the sheep or whatever. And so he owes this king more than he could ever even dream of paying back. And the king, what? The king forgave him? Are you serious? He forgave the debt? I mean, I'm sure this just went around the whole countryside. So this servant knew what was going on. And so he thought, hey, I'll try this with him. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Thinking, oh, sure, he's going to do that. I mean, who would, you'd have to be a pretty hard person not to do that. Look at verse 30. It says, he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now remember, in comparison to his debt, it was nothing. Like a week's wages or whatever, day's wages, whatever it was ridiculous. R- ridiculous amount. But the fact that he put him in jail, how, how is he going to repay him if he's in jail? So really he gave the guy a life sentence over a little bit of a m- amount of money, and yet he had been forgiven all. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, clearly, thinking, wow, what a hypocrite. Look at this guy. I can't believe he's doing this. And they went and they reported to their master, like little tattletales, but still, they had a good case, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, a servant who didn't forgive the other guy, and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. What a incredible illustration for the disciples. They're talking about forgiveness. See, one thing you need when you come before God, you need a contrite heart you need to realize that you got issues. you got sin in your life. You can't come to God thinking that, oh, I'm going to put on my best face and act like nothing's wrong. That's not going to work. When you come to God with a contrite heart, a sorrowful heart, then you're going to experience the compassion of God. You're going to experience the forgiveness of God. But if you come to God with a proud heart, what are you going to hear? You're going to hear the law. That's the one thing true about Jesus. Whenever he came across somebody who was proud in their spirit... When he encountered them, what did he do? He gave them the law. He said, here's what you have to do. But whenever he came across somebody who was broken in their spirit, at the end of the rope, they're crying out to God, what did he do? He gave them grace. He gave them grace. He didn't give them the law. He gave them grace because they were already broken. That's the purpose of God's law is to break us, to bring us to a point that we realize, you know what? We can't do this. We can't live this Christian life. We can't be good enough for God to like us more. It's not going to work. The only way we can have a relationship with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this parable points out the compassion of God under such circumstances. Verse 35 And so also my heavenly father, this is Jesus speaking now, he breaks away from the parable and says, listen, Peter, here's what I want you to understand. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you, kind of pointing to his disciples, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, having a forgiving heart is essential to the Christian life, beloved. There's no room for us to hold grudges. Jesus puts a great deal of emphasis on our need to forgive others. As a matter of fact, he goes on in so many places, but a couple in particular here, and and others, he says, if you're not willing to forgive others, you can't experience the fullness of God's forgiveness in your own life. And we went over that when we were in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is teaching the same principle, that's in Matthew 6, in today's parable. He teaches the same thing throughout and it applies today. In this story, we learn of forgiveness. How much we've been forgiven. Infinite amount. We could never pay God back. And how much we need to forgive others. We learn that being forgiven and forgiving others are really inseparable. If you're a true believer in Christ... You don't have the right to hold a grudge. You just don't. And that's why earlier in Matthew 18 it says, hey, if someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to them right away. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to wait. You just go to them. And you state your case. And hopefully they're receptive. And you say, well, there's a couple different ways we think about forgiveness just to, to get real practical here as we close out. How do you forgive others as God wants you to forgive I mean, there's. give you two examples, and neither one is really right. I've heard people say, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. You ever hear that? I'm going to make certain that you, you remember this for the rest of your life, pal, the way you did this to me, or whatever it is. I'll never forget. I'll remind you what you've done the rest of your life. And when I bring it up, you better start acting real guilty, or I'll withdraw my forgiveness. The principle is that we're to forgive as we're forgiven. Don't miss that. And that is not how God forgave us. Can you imagine if God forgave us that way? (laughs) We wouldn't have a a chance. It's not forgiveness at all. On the other end of that extreme are those who think that forgiving means basically giving everybody the right to treat them as a doormat and walk all over them and be victimized in their life for the rest of their life. That isn't the case either. You have to strike a balance So we're supposed to forgive others. Well, what does it mean? Well, there's four practical steps on the back of your outline there. And this comes right out of this this parable. But four practical steps. First of all, forget about keeping count. He points that out in verses 21 and uh, 22. How many times? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, you know what? Don't even count about it. Seventy times seven. How's that, Peter? Forget about keeping count. Don't keep a, a count of wrongdoings before people. Do you think God does that? I don't think God does that. The worst thing you can hear from somebody is, oh, yeah, 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 I remember last time when I forgave you. <laughs> well, wait a minute, if you forgave me, why are we bringing this back up? And we've all done that. We've all fallen into that. Don't keep a track of wrongdoings, don't keep count we to get forgive others, each other, unlimited. Unlimited. You say, well, that sounds silly. Well, that's what Jesus does. That's what God does to us. We're to follow in his footsteps. If someone asks for forgiveness, regardless of how many times they've asked you in the past, we to forgive that person. And you know what? If you want to live with any kind of sanity in your Christian life, whether they, forgive, whether they ask you forgiveness or not, you might as well just forgive them in your own heart and get it off your, off your back and move on. It's not worth it. It's not worth carrying the burden around. Secondly, cancel the debt. See, sometimes we forgive others, and when we do, we have the power to cancel their debt. To, In other words, completely let them off the hook. Jesus tells in this parable, this guy that owned all this money, and, and the, the king canceled the debt. The Bible says when he forgives, God forgives us, he hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea in Micah 7.19. The Bible also says about God's forgiveness, I have swept your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist, Isaiah 44.22. And it says, you have put all my sins behind your back. So you can't see them. And Isaiah 38.17 says that he buried them in the depths of the sea. One commentator said, then he put up a no fishing sign. <laughs> That's how God forgives us. He forgives us completely. Our sin is gone forever. Aren't you glad about that? Could you imagine if God was like us and we threw it back in our face every time we messed up? Some of you may have that view of God. That's not a biblical view of God. I read a story one time of an individual who kept on the same sin. He's just struggling with it over and over and over again. And kept on going back, going back to God. Finally he got a kind of handle on it and was kind of reprieved of that and and yet the guilt was still there after all those years. And he kept on going back to God and begging his forgiveness even though that he wasn't even sinning anymore in that area of his life. God had given him victory but he just couldn't get rid of the guilt. Finally one of his close friends realized that this was just a burden in his life and he said, you know what? Let's just play this little game for a second. We'll do a little role play here. I'm going to be God and you be you. Now you come to me with your attitude of, you know, God, please forgive me. And so, you know, they played this out. And, and the individual who was playing God, when he said, you know, God, please forgive me. Forgive you for what? Well, you know, for years, you know, I had this. No, I don't know. I don't even remember. It's covered by the blood of Christ. See, we we have to think of God that way. Most of us have, have sinned in our lives in one way or another and to think that God is up there holding them over our heads somehow. I even know some people think that when bad things happen in their life, they think, oh yeah, it's because I did this. If you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your debt is canceled. And that's the way that we should Reach out to people around us. When we're learning to forgive, we need to forget about keeping count of wrongdoings. And also, we need to cancel the debt when we're able to. Just cancel it. And then thirdly, keep them accountable. See, I'm not talking about a stupid kind of forgiveness that makes you lay down and let people walk all over you. Because that's what the king did here in verses 28 to 34. He forgave the servant's debt but he held him accountable, didn't he? Because look at what the servant did. The wicked servant went out and he wouldn't forgive somebody else. Well, what'd the king do? He stepped back right into the servant's life and he said, hey, pal, you know what? You're going to hold account now because I'm not going to let you get away with this. You got to keep people accountable. After you forgive someone when maybe they do something you don't like. I mean, the lesson here, it says here that this king actually called him a wicked servant and threw him into jail. Well, does that mean that you track people down and torture them, you know, when they don't know? That's not 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 the idea. But you keep them accountable. The king didn't cancel his debt and say, okay, go treat anybody any way you want. See, if you've been forgiven by Christ, beloved, then you have, you know, an abundance of forgiveness within your own life to dish out to others. And when you don't do that, that shows that maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe you've never really experienced the forgiveness of God. When we forgive others... Even though we completely wipe out their debt, we need to establish certain terms of accountability so that they're going to be able to overcome their past and move on toward holiness in God. The last thing here is basically consider God's mercy in your life. Sit down and consider God's mercy in your life. Like I said, sit down and write on a piece of paper all the sins you've ever committed, that you can remember all the stupid things you've done, all the hurtful things you've said to people. Piece of paper, I say, you know, maybe some of us would need a book. And when you stop and you think about that and you think about, wow, how does God treat me again? He treats me as one of his own. He treats me as adopted into his beloved family. Why? Because of Christ? I mean, every time I'm tempted to hold a grudge against somebody, I stop and I think, wait a minute, how did God forgive me? Did God hold a grudge against me? I've disappointed God so many times, it can't even count. And yet God fully forgave me. I didn't deserve it, but he forgave me anyway. We all fail again and again and again, day after day after day. There's no way I could ever need to forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven me. Do you need to forgive someone? I pray that you would forgive them as God has forgiven you. Forget about keeping account. Cancel their debt. Establish accountability with them. And most of all, remember God's own mercy and grace in your own life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching of our Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, minister your grace to our hearts. Father, I'm sure that there's people in this building who are carrying grudges. If we just stop for a second and think of maybe there's somebody I need to forgive. I'm sure a name would pop into any one of our minds. And Lord, you encourage us to do that. And you encourage us to do it quickly and efficiently and humbly. But Lord, I pray that we would do it because of our love for you. And we realize what you've done for us. There's a real force behind forgiveness. And that force is the force that comes through Christ. This isn't something we can do on our own. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, you don't know what was done to me. You're right, I don't, but God does. And God is able to forgive us our sin. I guarantee you, he will give you the power and the grace to extend that forgiveness to others. It doesn't mean the memories go away. It doesn't mean the hurt is just gone. But I'll tell you one thing, you're on the right road when you unload that unforgiveness and you lay it at the foot of the cross. You will see God begin to work afresh in your life. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you've never experienced the forgiveness of God. I pray that you'd cry out to him. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me, Lord, my need of a Savior. Show me your truth. Pray that you would draw me to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' precious
0: name. Amen. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today, and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.